0: But I'm in the hotel lobby of the Marriott, so we going to do this real jackdip.
1: Yes, people in the background, were saying all sorts of controversial things.
0: It's going to be great. It's going to be great. <laughs>
1: Hi, welcome to Outrageous, our bi-weekly podcast where we talk about race, media, culture, politics, and everything in between. My name is Chris. I'm here in New York City, and I'm joined by my very best friend,
0: Trisha from L.A. Hello. But uh, not in L.A., huh? Not at all. I'm sitting I'm sitting and talking to you in um, a London Marriott. <laughs> the opposite of L.A. <laughs> the opposite of L.A., um, many, 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 many miles away. And I'm pursuing my addiction for tennis.
1: So you're just traveling the world watching tennis.
0: I'm watching tennis. I've been watching tennis since um, last week. I was in Milan. And now I'm in London, and I plan to watch some more tennis tomorrow, and I should be done by Monday.
1: So this is my connection to the tennis thing. Uh, Sure. There was a Facebook post about – it was some clickbaity post about Roger Mm Federer, and he was playing a match, and the other guy, like, bent over and showed his ass or something.
0: Yes. Jack Sock.
1: (laughs) An American. apparently (laughs) – you know, it came on one of, like, those those gay sites that I follow, which is just all about clickbait – so then it's like, you know, Roger Federer distracted by his opponent's big body part. And I was
0: like, all right, I'm on it." It actually fine. was true. It was so funny. He was actually in a really good position to win the point by hitting the ball over the net. And by having Jack Sock turn and present his rear, he was completely distracted. And he hit it right into the net. And then later they asked him in the press conference what happened. And he's like, well, it was just so big. know." <laughs> <laughs> No, he didn't. no. Yes, he did. <laughs> It was a perfect clickbait press conference, actually. What well, he should I, have said, and then he said it was so big, I should have hit it as the target, but i I was which is what you're supposed to do actually at the net. When you're at the net, you should hit at the opponent. It's part of the strategy, but he was trying to be good and hit to the open court. <laughs> what he should have done was aim for the ass,
1: just put it right in his ass. <laughs> Well, that would have been a better headline. Roger (laughs) Federer puts it right in Jack Sock's
0: ass. Wow, I can tell what kind of headlines you watch. (laughs) A mess. (laughs) Oh
1: boy! So how? So Europe is fabulous, right? I, I like how we take turns being in Europe.
0: Well, you know what? I actually really, I'd never been to Milan. I really like Milan. I like Milan as a city. I My favorite city in Europe, as you know, is Berlin. And I felt like Milan was a pretty close second to Berlin in the sense that I like a small city, easy to navigate in terms of transportation. And by transportation, I mean metros as well as trolleys and buses aplenty. And really good food. And Milan had all of that and more, which I really appreciated. Love that. And there's just art everywhere. So I would highly recommend Milan to you. You've not been to Milan because you were just recently in Italy, but not there, right?
1: Yeah, I wasn't in Milan. I was in Rome and I was right outside of Rome, but I didn't get to Milan. I will. I, uh, yeah, it's doable. Eventually.
0: You should. You know, the biggest thing to do there is, um, I, I, and I did, is to go see The Last Supper painting by Michelangelo. That's where it's at.
1: Oh, how is it? Is it tiny?
0: You know what? It isn't. It isn't tiny. You know, and they do a better job of highlighting The Last Supper than, say, um, they do at the Louvre with the Mona Lisa. The problem with the Mona Lisa is, you know, it's small. And then you're you're surrounded by a crowd of people trying to see it and watch it. But in this space, The Last Supper has to be um, in a carefully controlled space, temperature control. And they only let a certain number of people in, and you can only be there for 15 minutes. But we were I was with a small group, and you can only do it with a tour. I was with a very small group, and we went in, and we had it to ourselves for 15 minutes. And I think that was fine. I think, you know, I mean, obviously... For us, it's just to experience it. I'm not, a art, I'm not an art genius, so I'm not sitting there looking at it for two hours and going, what is it? But it was great, you know? I mean, it was great. And it was better than the Mona Lisa. So I really figure they should yeah, do that. They should so put great. the Mona Lisa in a really nice room and then just roll people through their 10-minute slots at some time. I don't know. It's great. I loved it, though. It's amazing. I, I, do I
1: sound lowbrow when I'm like... All oh, right, well, I guess that's not true. But, like, the Mona Lisa, I saw it, uh-huh. and then I was sort of like... I just moved on. Like, I feel like you look at something at the Mona Lisa, If when you see it in person, there's the reverence of, like, this is very old. Yeah. Like, th- the artist actually touched, like, this piece of parchment or whatever, mm-hmm. whatever, canvas, whatever. But, I mean, not for nothing, we've all seen the Mona Lisa.
0: Well, I mean, that's the problem. So, like, I, I, it's, it's reprints, right? You have to ask yourself, well... I mean, for you, I think it's important to see the Mona Lisa as it's originally constructed. A reprint is still just a reprint. It's still mm-hmm. just a copy of a copy. You know, and yes, you've seen it, but you haven't actually seen the real thing. My problem with <laughs> it is think- that I, I didn't see it with somebody. So I didn't see it with like a group or something where they're talking you through so maybe the relevant, yeah, the relevant elements of it. I think also with The Last Supper, they do a really good job of priming you for what you are about to see, yeah. What's relevant about it? What's unique about it? What are the things that he attempted to do? All those kinds of things, I think, are helpful preparation. Like, art is not something that just comes over you, I think. Especially, I mean, some of it can be, but I think some of it is, like, you should be taught how to appreciate art. I don't know what's wrong with that. I feel
1: the same way about music. Yeah. I feel like I took uh, a music appreciation class in college. Yeah. Uh, It was uh, opera, actually. Opera appreciation. It was fantastic. I mean, I didn't have any context for opera, but just Mm -hmm. um, like about it in that way. It was really great. Let me ask you this question. Um, As far as cultural artifacts are concerned, Mm -hmm. like, do you think that going forward, like stuff that we make today, do you think we'll have like the same kind of impact in the future? I mean, physical things, Mm -hmm. because I'm thinking like a lot of the things like the Mona Lisa and like the Pieta, which I saw when I was in Rome in Vatican City, Like, these are clues to a past Mm -hmm. that we don't have a lot of information about. So we sort of, like, really take care of these artifacts. But now in this day and age, like, we're recording everything. We're recording this right now. Sure. People will be able to know what, like, two blowhards on either side of the country were thinking about certain topics at this period of time. You know, there's there's less mystery. So I wonder if, like, the things that we create are going to have the same kind of Forever. Like, Do you think like in a thousand years from now, like the Wall Street Bowl is going to be in a museum? Like probably because New York will be destroyed and underwater. So I'll have to put it somewhere.
0: I mean, I think it's so interesting. I think for you, it's really the tension between what is um, maintained and what isn't. Right. In terms of our culture right now, we can't envision that certain things won't be here. Right. We, we have so much. And we have so many copies of things. We have pictures, we have images, we have video, we have that. But the reality of it is that it's about what is um, what is left. So if something happens and things are destroyed, then you have a real contrast, right? That's really what it comes down to. It's like, oh, this is a, like a slight piece of their lives because other things are destroyed. If we had too much of a thing, I don't really know how much reverence we'd be putting in, how much stock we'd put in maintaining or even like revering it Mm. part of what i part of that tension is what is present and what is lost i think people right now are like oh my god you guys are ridiculous but i don't know 200 years from now what if our lives are entirely different and then to look back at to yeah i mean and it most likely will be Right. So to look back at it and go, oh, they were so self indulgent. Look at it; they were taking selfies everywhere. I mean, it's <laughs> it's in contrast to the present moment that something has value, right?
1: <laughs> and I guess I'm, I guess I'm just trying to be provocative for no reason because I went to the MoMA a couple of years ago and they had like a razor flip phone on display.
0: Yeah, remember that? I think that's you had dumb. one. I did. Well, I loved it. Remember? I couldn't give it up. Remember?
1: But no, actually, it wasn't dumb because like seeing under glass like that. It just struck me how, like, that was a phone. Yeah. Like, the idea that that was a phone, I was like, it's because things happen incrementally. Like, I don't really think about, like, you had a razor flip phone and you were all about it. Like, today, yeah. that's such a silly notion, especially the way that you interact with your phone and the way that mm-hmm. phones are. So, I.
0: But for you, right, then. But it's also still, again, right? Even the way you, you gave that example, it was in contrast to what phones represent now and yeah. what phones had been. So, I mean, again, like, right? If we if we get to the place which is your dream future, where phones are inside our heads, yes. right? Yes, oh
1: my then God. Then
0: we'll be like, listen, there was a point in time when they used to carry this unwieldy thing. <laughs> 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 it's like,
1: wait, so you had two hands and one permanently had your phone in it? What a waste. I was like, yes, that was before we invented a third hand coming out of the center of your chest to permanently hold your phone.
0: I know. I mean, I think those things are. Um, I mean, you know, and it is interesting. I'm always curious about what is going to have value, what's going to have merit. You know what's what's going to really speak to our time. What's that going to look like? So I don't well, know. I've
1: I've been. Uh, I said this on the podcast before that I'm concerned about the digitization of everything that we're doing. Uh huh. Just in the sense, like there's an example. You know, Facebook does that on this day thing. So you can look back Mm -hmm. at stuff you did six, seven, eight, nine years ago. Yeah. So sometimes it will deliver me something, some link that I posted like nine years ago about a news story. Yeah. But the link is dead. Yeah. And I think that's a failure in journalism because that's why like microfiche in old newspapers is so useful because it's a physical thing that you can store and put somewhere. But when it comes to digital information, it can be lost if you simply don't store it or pay to store it or take the time to store it and i know there was a a lot of information being generated digitally but like if something were to happen like some sort of emp pulse and wipe it all out future civilizations would just like this podcast will be gone like all sorts of things will just no longer exist
0: well that's my tension with it that's what i that's what i recognize as well is i mean and actually i started to print out annually um. This is just a little thing I've been doing for the last couple of years is that I go through my cell phone pictures and I upload it on Shutterfly and I print out like a record of my year, things that That's I smart. did that year. Just because you know what? You're right. Everything is digitized. And you know what? As long as we have like physical photos, that can still be preserved to the yeah. best of our ability. It'll be faded. But it's at least still a record, right? Well, preservation
1: <laughs> and, and creating a record is valuable in our personal lives, sure. But that's, something, t- you that, know what? It's that's something that instant. I'm grappling with right now only because, honey, my storage unit costs a lot of money a <laughs> month. <laughs> and I have a lot of stuff in there. And I've really been thinking, like, do I need this stuff? Like like stuff like um, the freshman year book where you pick your courses out of. I know I yeah. have that in storage because it's in – it was the first time I had to take control of my education, and I was like, it was like a big deal. But yeah. now that I'm older, I'm like, who oh, the gives a fuck? Like, you know what I mean? Like, if I ever wanted to know what classes were available back then, it's available. Online.
0: Well, you, you know, know, I completely get it. You know, I'm pretty, I'm pretty low key mm-hmm. about. My, my materials and the things that I carry with me, as you know, many, many years ago, y'all, I went through a phase where I, I, I moved in with Crest to save money. And as a result of that period in time, I am now ridiculously unattached to things. I don't need a lot of things at all. So for me, there are three things that I really always want with me. Um, books. Books that I love. Not every book, but books that I really love, I want to reread over and over again, and I actually want the physical book. Um, Images, pictures, letters, those kinds of things I really keep. And then, um, yeah, those are actually two things. I I was going to separate letters and images, but... That's those are the those are the things that I really carry about. The rest I don't give a crap about. I, I,
1: listen, I get it, but there's a price tag associated with holding on to those things and yep. I'm tired of paying. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Well, I mean, I didn't, I didn't include my freshman book in there, but images are part of my memory, and I don't know how my, how strong my memory is going to be, and so I want to be able to have access to because exp- you know my life is about experiences, and my photos are part of recalling the experiences, mm-hmm. so that's one of the things that I hold dear. The rest, <laughs> I can burn for all I care, <laughs> close all of it. <laughs>
1: oh shit. Uh, All right. It's
0: funny. I don't. Well,
1: know. I wanted to just let's just hit a bunch of topics like real quick because you are in a hotel lobby and yes. uh, I figure it would just be we, I don't know how much we can get into like really deep and provocative topics because there's businessmen sitting next to you being like what is this bitch doing?
0: Oh so, no, but I'm 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 ready. <laughs>
1: okay. Well, this I just a couple of things that have come up while you're away that I want to talk to you about.
0: Yes, please. first
1: off, with this 2017 sexual assault Hunger Games of like every famous Ooh. person.
0: <laughs> Ooh. Ooh.
1: I, 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 honestly, for the idea of like making like a gambling pool, like who's next?
0: <laughs> you know like Can I make like
1: that death pool for actors? <laughs> yeah, it's like every single day you wake up and some new person is accused. Now listen. Okay, disclaimer, I'm not joking about sexual assault. I don't think it's funny that people are being victimized. I am actually thoroughly enjoying this moment when we are taking on rape culture straight ahead. Like, I'm yeah. thoroughly enjoying it. That said, who's next? Who do you- <laughs> Sylvester Stallone is the newest yeah. one to be accused as of this morning. But by the time you hear this, there will be at least three or four dozen other men. Um, well, I think just not, before actually. Him-
0: Just before him was Al Franklin, right? Al Franklin.
1: Who left photographic evidence. I don't know if you've seen the picture.
0: I saw the picture.
1: I mean, it's a woman sleeping and he's pretty much, he thought it'd be funny if someone photographed him fondling her boobs. (laughs) I
0: don't know. Was she sleeping? I thought she was actually standing up.
1: No, she was sleeping.
0: Oh, the the image I saw, she was standing up and she was like in a military gear or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then he was reaching for her.
1: She's sitting down. She's oh, sleeping. Or oh, something. sleeping
0: like like and a doze, like dozing. Yeah. yeah, motion over her, her breath. Mm-hmm. Uh,
1: so it's. I just feel like everyone over the age, every white male over the age of fifty, is going down.
0: Well, you know what? I don't really know. You know, this is. I've been thinking a lot about this, and you know, we had a, a discussion that was somewhat similar last time when we were talking about male culture, right? Yeah. that's And. Week. I, I last week, and I think that this is really an extension of that conversation, which is that we have long thought that there were certain kinds of behavior that were appropriate sexually for men to pursue, which is that women were. I mean, this is this is what feminism has been talking about, which is that we have objectified women, and it's implicit, explicit, it's embedded so deeply in the culture that. Once we decided to shine a light on it, it would necessarily capture all men, regardless of what side of the aisles they were on, Mm -hmm. far right, far left, what have you, because it's, it's embedded in male culture, which is that you deserve women women are prizes, booby prizes for you.
1: <laughs> no pun intended.
0: No pun intended, but that, you know what I mean? So so the fact that people are actually startled that men are going down, I mean, which man doesn't think that? Which man? Ha- who, who are the men that have not been taught that a woman is theirs to be possessed or that having multiple women is actually sort of like part of the prize of power?
1: To that point... what happened at the Oscars in 2003 Adrian Brody won best actor got onto stage and then fully grabbed Halle Berry and did like a whole Hollywood lean
0: full on mouth kiss yes
1: Uh, at the time people were cheering in the audience you know Halle Mm -hmm. Berry um, went along with it Mm -hmm. she was interviewed about this recently and she said like all I could think was what the fuck is going on here? Uh-huh. What the fuck? She's like, I went with it, but I was I didn't know what was going on. And it's those sorts of behaviors that we want to typify as cute and awe. Uh-huh. But really, what was going on there? He walked up and he just saw a woman and figured that he was going to he was just <laughs> gonna kiss her. Like if, if Kirk Douglas had given him that award, would he have done the
0: yeah. same? Like it's, no, it's no
1: interesting because our sensibilities are different today.
0: For sure.
1: Uh, I mean, I, it's, it's, it's these sorts of behaviors that now we have to revisit and be like, um, why did we think this was okay in the first place? It's not okay for Adrian Brody to go up there and just physically put his tongue in anyone's mouth. I mean, Adrian Brody could put sure, his tongue in my mouth. Sure, do that but
0: for you. Absolutely but, you know, but you know what, actually, um, I don't know if you remember, but there was also a similar incident like, like this with Cameron Diaz. Remember Cameron Diaz at the MTV Movie Awards? I All think right. it was um, as somebody moved to do it. I won't name the actor because I can't remember. Oh, right. And um, and at the time, she reacted in the moment. She yes. was um, properly repulsed. And I, if I'm not if I'm not mistaken, I remember people were actually um, they rebuffed her a little bit because they were like, "Have a sense of humor." You know, and I think in the moment, I think people thought Halle Berry managed it quite well because she she was perfectly within her right to also rebuff Adrian Brody. But she was like, oh, well, you know, he's caught up in the moment. And, you know, I'm just I'm not going to I'm not going to stop anyone from sort of I'm not going to cause a fuss. Right. I'm not going to cause a fuss. Um, I think he he didn't intend any harm. Right. But I do I do like your point that I think we're having a cultural moment where we can now look back and say that was inappropriate. But I also think I mean, think about let's just, Like you think about some of the popular culture sort of storylines and storytelling that we have we've been privy to say some like the madman era when you see like bosses expect the things of their secretary or it was, you know what I mean? Like the, the the workplace was so inappropriate before we even had a term called sexual harassment before any of those things, there was just an expectation that women were, I don't know, there to be grabbed and there weren't any sort of legal repercussions for you. So I think there that's, might have to been me, legal repercussions, the but there
1: was but there may have been legal repercussions, but there were, there was not a cultural understanding that this but was, there were no legal
0: about. repercussions. How could there be legal repercussions when there weren't any rules on the books about what you can and can't do? You know, if Anita Hill was one of the first people that helped to actually craft a landscape for us to even understand the idea of sexual harassment. Well, let's let, <clears> Hmm. <throat>
1: I think this is why this conversation gets tricky because I'm going to wade into it here. But there is a there is a fundamental difference between <clears throat> sexual assault, like grabbing, forcing sure. yourself on someone, forcing your tongue in someone's mouth, like touching their private parts. There's a difference between that and making lewd and inappropriate jokes, um, or using your power to make someone just uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. I think there there is a difference there. So my, my point is, is that even in madman days, you couldn't, boss couldn't walk into an office, like grab physically, throw someone on the desk, rape them and get away with it legally. However, the cultural understanding um, wasn't where it is today. For instance, like the honeymooners, like the to the moon, Alice, like there were definitely laws on the books about men hitting their wives and beating women. They weren't as strong as they were today. But there were laws in the book, but what was lacking was a cultural understanding about why those laws were necessary. Hmm. I think that's what was going on in the past, and that's these two things now are sort of getting close to the same level
0: I mean I, th- I guess that's, I mean I guess that's interesting. I don't really know about that because right? because I, isn't it possible in some states that you are allowed to still rape your wife well, I mean, women as property I know, right I, know. I mean.
1: I know it's confusing, but I'm not a lawyer.
0: Yeah, no, no. I mean, mean, obviously, we're having this conversation not – I don't know. We're not legalese people. But I'm just – I think there are some states where there are some some laws still on the books where there's some quibbling around that. There's some quibbling about what a husband can and cannot do to his wife. So I think it's really strange that we – there's a presumption – yeah, there's a presumption that certain you know that things are illegal. State
1: that if a woman is passed out, you can't replace yes, your.: Recently.
0: Allow. Recently this was an and issue, right? This was is an, yes, it was problem. like, yeah, they, they were trying to create a distinction about what rape was. And actually, if I'm not mistaken, I remember recently California was trying to make that distinction about what qualified as rape, what qualified as consent and 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 actually this was a, this was a major point of contention is whether you were conscious or not, which I thought i I would have thought this isn't you know, up for discussion, but that was the problem was that some man had placed his penis in a woman's purse in a person's body, and she was passed out and there was actually a, con- a question of consent <laughs> the and court I was, was like well, <laughs> I was like what is going on here? <laughs> I mean, oh, I guess it. I th- I think there's really like this real tension between the letter of the law and cultural practice now.
1: Well, I think it's cultural understanding. I think our cultural understanding about why or what women are facing is mm-hmm. what we're looking at. It's kind of like similar. there's like an analog. It's not a direct thing because it's it's totally different. But like with Black Lives Matter,
0: mm-hmm. it's sort of like
1: you know you still have white people who are like, oh, is it really that bad for black men?
0: Yeah, and or black, black men just looking
1: like, bitch. But like, I think it's the same thing for women is that we do have these laws now, but the application of these laws and the expansion of them is hindered by our cultural understanding of what women are facing. Yeah. So that's why I love this moment right now. That's why I like the Me Too hashtag. This is why I like, because it's like, hello everyone, women are facing this every single day. We make it tough for women. You know, and every time that an Adrian Brody kisses a Halle Berry... Every time Al Franken takes a picture like that and thinks, first of all, the the fact that he thought that would be a good idea to take a picture like that, yeah, you know, that tells you where our cultural understanding is. Who would you like to see go down? Everyone's going down, but who would you like to see
0: go down? I mean, is there a particular
1: actor or politician or somebody?
0: I mean, listen, I, I, but you know what? This is see, this is where I oh, and this is going to be really awkward for me. Um, is everyone going to go down? Should everyone go down, or, no, should, we having, or should we be having, or should I know, or should we be having a conversation about what's appropriate and what's not appropriate? Because if there oh, was obviously a cultural things. moment, no, but the, there was obviously a though? no, but there was obviously a cultural moment where we felt like, like for example, um, Louis C.K. Mm-hmm. Right, the comedian who I guess has been accused of being sexually inappropriate with several women, and um, he was allowed to continue to do that, even though many people knew it was happening. Bosses of comedy places, so it's not like so this. Was everybody's story, was... what you're saying,
1: that's everybody. You know,
0: what? that's every. You know what I mean? Like, every, not that everyone needs to go down, but I feel like if everyone is doing something either we're going to put everyone in jail or we're going to have a moment of reckoning and is this not the time for us to have a moment of reckoning where we have clear conversations about it yes that's fine and we can make the we can make a distinction about is this an extreme case is that one and we can do gradations of it which one's which one's legally viable which one deserves time in jail which one deserves what, what? we we might have to make those kinds of distinctions but it feels like it feels like we have to sort of move away. I'm not saying that people shouldn't be punished. Obviously, I think they should be. But it seems to me that we have created an environment where these things were thought to be okay Mm -hmm. um, or tacitly okay, you know, I don't know. And then now we're saying it's not okay, and it never was. But if we don't explicitly state that these things are not okay, how do you really hold people accountable? I and I'm not giving everybody a pass. I don't believe in that.
1: No. No, 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 no. I think what you're saying, you're setting it up as like sort of like we can do this or we can do this. We can actually do both those things. We can change the structure and we can hold people accountable based For on sure. our new not even new understanding, based on our understanding of sexual assault. That's what I'm enjoying about this moment is that not only are we shifting our cultural understanding of sexual assault Mm -hmm. and our dynamics between men and women and men in power and everybody else, but I think that will signal a change in, like I mentioned on last week's episode, like we're going to have to set up safe spaces for women, for children, for whoever. For whoever has suffered from this and be like, listen, this space is going to be unlike previous spaces. Mm -hmm. And we need to continue to sort of put those previous spaces out there on the fringe
0: sure sure
1: however i will say and then we can wrap this up i i will say that a backlash to this is coming because make no mistake people it's still a patriarchy out there and they're going to push back on this hard we're going to attack these women we're going to ferret out every woman who gives a false accusation and use it to discredit all women who can play like it's the same which is which has always always been done
0: yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, I, you know, this question of a backlash, though, I mean, because this is one of the moments where I because oh, this is this is what it was related to. Now, you remember we've been ha- we had, an, uh, I think, a podcast about this several weeks back and it was about gender. Right. And we were talking about um, in terms of bathroom laws and what that means. Right. Mm-hmm. And part of what part of the challenge is this new reckoning about gender. Right? Because trans people invite us, and maybe feminism and, and many other movements invite us to rethink what gender is that it's not two things, right? It's not male, female. There are other things going on. And because there are other things going on, we now have um, an opportunity to reinterpret the laws, reinterpret how we have um, thought about um, how we execute certain. Protections, right? Mm-hmm. And this is part of what's going on with, I think, one of the cases that was up in front of the Supreme Court and also around gender protections at school, right? Was, well, how do we define gender? And if we have historically thought about it as just two things, but now we're thinking that we now have a better understanding, we need to sort of like extrapolate and, and expand the rules to encompass these new understandings, mm-hmm. right? I think the similar thing, and then you have people push back saying, nope listen there's only male and female right that's the pushback there's only male and female and that's been that's been a real bone of contention in that space I think similarly you're having that conversation right now too you're gonna have the pushback of like hello you have no sense of humor um, similar similar to when we talked about um, what, what, what's that speech where people say you're being too um, politically correct right the pushback Whatever to that Yeah, the pushback to corrective speech was you're politically correct. You're too cautious. I think the pushback to this moment is, hey, wait a minute now. You're really, really going to create this divisive space between between the sexes. You're making it, you're taking away all the humor in interactions between male and female. I mean, like, even the Adrian Brody example, that was a joke. Obviously, this person wasn't sexually assaulting her. You know, it's all fun and games. It's all goodwill. It's flirting. You know, that's really going to be the pushback as well, don't you think? Not so much this extreme, like, oh, we're going to go at you and attack all, which they've always done. Okay. But I think there's going to be that sort of, like, hey, you humorless feminists or you humorless women What's a man to do? Don't well, you think that's going to be, be the both. pushback?
1: It's going to yeah. be both, and the latter is disgusting. You know, oh, th- take a joke. I, yeah, I, I wanted to grab your thing, right? and Take a joke, like that's disgusting. Um, but it's it's out of the playbook. You know, it I is. Think it's, it's very be much both in the playbook. Those things we're going to attack the women, um, and tell them that they're liars, and then we're going to attack them and tell them that they're humilists, and feminism has gone too far, whatever that means. You know, it, it's gonna. I mean, I think you're on ripping because... up
0: patriarchy. You're ripping that up from the from the from the core.
1: And the patriarchy won't accept that. That's mm. they didn't get to be the patriarchy because they you know they took things lightly or didn't have a strong arm.
0: So. Why do you, can I ask though? Why do you think we're having this moment? Like, what is? I mean, what What's is this? Question? Like, what where? Like, why are we having a reckoning? I mean, is it because, is it because of who is, is it because of who's the leader of the country and the fact that he didn't get a reckoning? I'm
1: trying not to talk about him.
0: Um, No, no, I mean, we don't have to, but I'm just like, why are we now, why do people feel like, okay, let's push through this moment. Let's really be aggressive about it.
1: I think it does have to do with who's in office for sure. I think it's a pushback to this idea of men just getting what they want and never being held accountable and, even as information comes out, they rise to higher and higher levels. I think it's definitely a backlash to that. However, we have short memories when it comes to these sorts of things. If you recall, this happened exactly one year ago when the Access Hollywood tape came out uh, where Donald Trump said he can grab women by the pussy and he he discussed and described pushing himself on women and kissing them regardless of what they wanted when that came out, 20 women came out and said that this happened to me and et cetera, et cetera. And there was a whole hashtag campaign. Uh, It was the front page of the New York times. And somehow we're here again. It's sort of like being caught in a time loop. This happens all the time. The question, I think the more interesting question is, is this moment any different from any of the other previous moments that we've had?
0: difficult to know
1: maybe we'll only know in hindsight
0: for sure i think so there needs to be consequences i mean that's that's always true i mean in the sense that that's what changes a moment is if there are no real consequences if nobody pays out any money if if, for example like i mean the precipitating event for this for many people probably was the weinstein if there's no way that that like weinstein is legally punished (laughs) that is a problem People have to have consequences. If we don't Our see careers being ruined, really not
1: enough. Like that, Kevin there Space needs eating. to be,
0: there needs to be, but, but, but actually, it's too soon to tell because they, one of the things that we have seen happen with really powerful people is that they have a moment, they have a momentary blip. Then they disappear, going to rehab, come back out, and then there's this real. Mel Gibson's cheating, daddy's home too. Exactly. So what (laughs) you we all
1: forgot apparently. (laughs) We
0: all forget that. I mean, so if there are no real harsh consequences, then I don't think it's a real moment. Like it's it's similar to what's happening with Black Lives Matter. If these people are not put in jail, it's not real. You know, Mm. the movement still matters. The resistance matters. But then culturally, nothing has changed. Mm -hmm. Practically nothing has changed. Mm -hmm. So people have to go to jail. People have to pay out fines. People have to um, suffer through lawsuits. Something has to really happen. Otherwise, I can't be convinced that that has any any merit, right?
1: Well, like you said, it's difficult to say. I think in hindsight, I think in hindsight, we'll we'll see that. When I was reminded of where we were last summer around this election, mm-hmm. I was shocked that I forgot. Oh, I never <laughs> I mean, did. Did you forget? I mean, I, f- I remember it sort of like as part of the entire fabric of the story of the election. Mm-hmm. But like, it got as much attention as things were doing now. Bill Cosby too, which was slightly different just because like the sort of horrendous nature of the dozens of women. But we have this conversation perennially. And you're right. Time will tell if this moment is different. Like if Weinstein loses his empire and Kevin Spacey never works again. Now Jeffrey Tambor looks like it looks like there will be no Transparent season five with him at least. Like could you could are, you
0: could you alert me to the Jeffrey Tambor thing? Because if I don't know it, maybe our honey, audience
1: this think. shit is happening so fast. You can't, can't even keep, keep
0: up. up. What did oh you do?
1: I read the account this morning. There was there was a trans woman who guest starred second season. He mm-hmm. had a pretty big arc with the sun. Mm-hmm. Um, But apparently, like, he, Jeffrey Tambor had made all sorts of things to her about, like, wanting to have sex with her. And at one point, he, like, came up to her and, like, ground his penis against her
0: oh, or dear. something like that.
1: And it was, like, an ongoing, uncomfortable workspace. And then his assistant came out and said something similar. His response, it was kind of like that weird i'm'm I'm sorry if you were offended, like a mm. forced person sort of apology, but now um amazon is they're they're investigating mm. and doing transparent season five without Jeffrey Tambor, which would be weird because he is the eponymous transparent
0: mm. well, well, you know what's interesting about that is that um just as an a, an addendum to the Kevin Spacey thing is that here in London, there is a piece, there was a piece in the, um, one of the papers yesterday that said that they had identified 20 men who he had, um, had some sort of, um, sexual assault history with here in London when he was doing a play over here. Well, so they had found in the theater scene. So let
1: me tell you something. I know someone that Kevin Spacey sexually assaulted personally,
0: that's and if I,
1: if I know someone, I imagine there are hundreds of
0: people. Of course, of course, because he so, was a he was a theater person. So yeah, yeah. And he's been doing this for a
1: long time.
0: Yeah, and so. this is this is this is this is common practice for him. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I mean, I think it's instructive. I think this is um, it, there's so many teachable moments. My question, um, and I, we don't have to go into this anymore, but I'm just like, what's the fallout for this? How? I think there was a New York Times piece about how are parents teaching their children, not their sons, not to sexually assault. And, like, I mean, I feel like we need to be having these conversations in other spaces yeah, than the ones so that we could than the ones we're currently having it in you know we need to be talking about how does this impact parenting how does this impact what goes on in schools you know all of those spaces need to be we need to be confronting this but i don't know if there's language around it and i don't know where we begin to have those talks well behavior change let's leave that
1: there let's Let's make a note on our calendars to listen to this podcast a year from now and revisit this conversation at that time. For
0: sure. I, for I sure. want to see
1: if they are going to be different. Let's let's all mark that in our calendars listeners. Let's listen to this episode uh, a year from now and see if we've come any further and if this moment was actually important or valid.
0: Mm.
1: Okay, so let's jump into another topic then. I w- Wow, you found a quiet corner.
0: I did. <laughs> basically a bathroom okay. a bathroom so if, if anyone flushes <laughs> don't be disturbed yes <laughs> podcast from the toilet oh boy listen i'm committed i'm committed
1: uh, other thing i wanted to bring up was jordan peele was the writer and director of this year's smash awesome movie get out which is now came out well, in january The studio submitted it to the Golden Globes and they put it in the comedy sec, the comedy category without talking to Jordan Peele about it before. Now, the way the Golden Globes work is that they divide their movies into drama and comedy. Comedy is often seen as a less, like an easier category. So Get Out stands a good chance of winning. However, Jordan Peele has come out and said that he has some sort of feelings about it being called a comedy the movie is, has some comedic moments, but maybe no more so than any other movie that isn't a straight up comedy and that he wasn't consulted and that a lot of Black people have come up to him since the movie's come out and talked about how it reflects their experiences and the way that the horror felt very visceral to them because it was close to real life. And, and what's being stated is that to call all of that a comedy isn't somehow a disservice to the material and to the people who enjoyed it. So I read that. I thought it was interesting. What do you think?
0: First, a little bit of framing. It's a strategic decision because basically what they want to do is they want to make sure that it actually wins because in the drama category is that that war movie, Dunkirk. Oh yeah. And people think of that as the obvious front runner. And so they feel like if they put it in the comedy slash musical category, it's a strong chance that it's going to win because usually the most popular film wins in that category. And well, the then Golden Globes, it period. It
1: will, Straight up. On
0: some level. I mean, it honestly, it's 96 journalists from around the world that votes on the Golden Globe. And so what they're hoping to do is just transition that into a sort of like a, a quirky Oscar campaign. Because remember, one of the things that that's unique about the Oscars within the last couple of years is that you can now have up to 10 films nominated. Yeah. So that's... what they want to do is they want to give it legs, and they don't think it's going to be able to compete with a Dunkirk. On one hand, I completely agree with it as a business strategy. They did that, I think actually, let's be honest, they actually did that one year with Viola Davis. They put her in the best supporting actress category for um, Fences when it was clearly a lead role, but they didn't think that she could win against Emma Stone. So these decisions are strategically made all the time in some ways and often to the disservice of, I think, a person of color.
1: Can I just say that... What must it be for Viola Davis to be like, oh, I can't win versus Emma Stone?
0: Like, <laughs> I mean, and it's trash. And it's trash because even Emma Stone knows that she's not as good as Viola Davis. But it's, I think it's, Viola Davis it's White knows Supremacy that too. movies. And she's like <laughs> it's Jesus the White Supremacy Christ. Award. Listen, it's the White Supremacy Award. And Emma Emma Stone is who you've chosen as your winner. So you're gonna come with all kinds of reasons and ways to ensure <laughs> that you figure out a way to get Viola Davis an award. And so you're gonna say she's submitted as a best supporting actor. I mean, in some ways, that's really the larger question, right? The larger question is in is that this movie, the movie business is about buttressing white people. And so you have to come up with a strategy to ensure that a movie that is essentially about Black people's experiences, whether it was horrific, comedic, dramatic, what have you, you have to figure out a way to craft a narrative around it so that the people who are going to vote can find some way to honor it. That's That's really the way it works. And so in having to do that and in having to even have this conversation, we've already revealed the bias of that industry. Because it's not a comedy and it's not a musical. No, it's it's not built that way. No, it isn't. So it doesn't belong in that category. But they're making a strategic business decision. Business, I understand. I understand
1: the strategy involved. I really do. I think maybe I'm just sensitive because I'm one of the people who had a real reaction to get out, and the idea of calling it a comedy just feels like a slight to me. It just feels as if like there's nothing comedic happening. There's nothing comedic about the things that are being discussed in the movie they're really just all yeah, too real fear, and the and fear it's of right, black, all of it that, yeah the fear that black people have about certain situations it's just not there's nothing funny about it now am i am i just being too sensitive
0: listen i don't want to say i don't want to dismiss it you're being too sensitive i think one thing i want to i want to drive the point home though that this is about winning an award it's not about the truth or falseness of what of what you've experienced it's about figuring <laughs> out how to that's, get this movie like, <laughs> I like that how, i mean that's,
1: that's real you said something so real. Wow.
0: <laughs> well, I mean, but think about it. I mean, you know, there's another movie that you haven't talked about in that category, mm. potentially in that category, Battle of the Sexes. Now, Battle of the Sexes was in substance again, about a real it? issue. This is a women's rights issue. Laughably put together around this Battle of the Sexes tennis thing, right? Now, obviously, mm. this one is clearly comedic, but it's also really serious. And for the women that was experiencing it at the time, it was actually really serious. So talk about the consumption of that as simply comedic as well. I mean, it's like, you know, it's just a strange, I mean, it's a strange thing in Hollywood where at this point in time, the only thing that they can think about is figuring out how um, how to allow Dunkirk, a movie essentially about white men dying for a noble war, how to give it its own room to win because that's the narrative everyone cares about. Just give it the fucking the award other then. Narrative. Why do we,
1: why we jump into these hoops then? If you see Dunkirk and you're like, this is exactly the kind of movie that we want to award, just award it. Like the special achievement award goes to Dunkirk, the movie we really enjoyed. Listen, we have this conversation all the time and I'm, I'm not trying to rehash it here on the podcast because this would be the fourth time we've talked about it. But I just don't know why we, we're doing all this pageantry. It just bores me. Yeah, if we have to go out of the way to make sure Dunkirk wins, well then what the fuck is all this sport? Well,
0: we're not even we're not going we're not going out of the way to make sure Dunkirk wins. We're pretty convinced it will win, but we're just trying to go out of our way to make sure the other movies get acknowledged and get some legs on on a certain level. So, you know, I, I mean, I, I saw a lot of outrage on my um, Twitter feed and some of my news feeds about this. And, you know, on one level, I really get it. I do. You know, a movie that had such visceral reactions for all of us when we were watching it from, you know, from from the betrayal, from the, the, the role that the white woman plays in it, all those things that maybe some of us can key into. To then have it sort of thrown into this, like, comedic category just seems like a massive slap in the face. But I also really look at Hollywood a hundred percent up as a business. This is a business decision,
1: of course. Yeah, you know I that. That's, I you got that?
0: you know, and that's really where I rest on it. I mean, listen, Viola Davis wants that Oscar. Give her that supporting actor nod. I mean, sure, Emma Stone deserves it. What? Whatever. But you know, what I mean? Poor Emma Stone. <laughs> but listen, Emma Stone is this generation's new mediocre white actress that is going to be getting awards and we're all going to look at it and give her claps. We've already done that. We're moving on. We're moving on from Jen and Laura Lawrence to Emma Stone. And that's, I mean, this is what happens in an industry where you have to begin to ask yourself the question about who deserves to win awards. You know, mediocrity rises in this industry because it's an industry built for certain groups of people. And if it's not an industry where the doors are open to everyone at some point in time, you have to kind of just, twiddle laugh whatever giggle at the people who win to me the slap in the face was last year which was was viola davis being a supporting actor nom in a movie where she's the lead actress mm. but it's a, it was a calculation it was a calculation is viola davis the person that you think should be a lead actor winner and she um, wasn't i guess
1: oh, i guess not. not for some weird reason but whatever
0: but I it's not weird is quickly, the reason though. weird <laughs> is the reason weird though I mean, it's, it's not weird
1: as much as tired. You know, I'm, so yeah, I'm tired. It's tiring. Yeah, I'm tired of these assessments. I, I feel like there's nothing in there, but I want to switch gears real quickly. Uh, last week or this week, I don't know when you're listening to this, but Blake Shelton was named people's sexiest man alive.
0: Oh, uh, poor thing.
1: We? The public? <laughs> <laughs> I, I know you have interesting opinions about this
0: because I know I do. <laughs> <laughs> what you about First of it? all, my well, well. Interestingly enough, okay. Now the the sexiest man alive has always been um, affiliated it's with a movie coming out. Well, yeah. well. Yes, it's problematic in and of itself. But let's. I mean, we can't even dive into that because that's just dumb, right? It's People mm-hmm. Magazine, sexiest man alive. Who votes on these things? But it's usually a PR piece, right? So it's usually about somebody who has a movie coming out. I remember Brad Pitt with it once. George Clooney, There's, it's usually correlated with a new film, new book, new something. So does Blake Sheldon have a new album coming out?
1: I don't know. Is The Voice coming back for season billion? I don't know. Who cares?
0: Well, see, that's that's the thing that struck me. What struck me is that he didn't seem to have anything coming out. So it actually was a real deep dive. <laughs> that's well, the most striking element about it. Okay. I and, assumed... and, clearly a, and clearly a ploy. To, to reach the people demographic, which I'm assuming are Trumpers? I think everyone
1: reads people, actually. I mean, I don't know. I could be wrong, but I never thought people as being particularly partisan. I mean, it's total fluff. I think it is. Is it?
0: I think it actually is, though. I think People magazine is very bland, mainstream, Americana fair. It's what's in your doctor's office. So in some ways, I I... I, I I hesitate to say that it's a magazine that everyone consumes. I think it's a magazine that is um, aggressively apolitical in nature. Of course. In some ways. Well, Bland. You,
1: know you can tell that it has politics just based on looking at the people they selected for this particular quote unquote honor. I mean, if, you, if you go back, it's like Brad they, threw, they threw Denzel Washington a bone once. I think maybe Ricky once. Martin Once.
0: But isn't Denzel uh, Washington the the um, the um chosen black man that every person who's not black has picked as the one black man that they might do? If, I, if a gun is held to their head, Denzel might be that guy. <laughs> when I was like
1: 28, people were like, oh my gosh, you're so handsome. You look like Denzel Washington. I'm like, first of all, I don't look anything like Denzel Washington. Second of all, Denzel Washington is like a 55-year-old man. What? <laughs> The fuck <laughs> are you trying to say? Get out of here with your cross racial identification racism. Well,
0: bullshit. It just meant that you were really palatable. You were like the most palatable black that, guy they met.
1: The most palatable black guy. That's you know. Oh yep. boy. Yeah. That's that's, that's that was always my favorite. Back in the in the dating world, it's like Ooh, you know you're a hot black guy. I was like, mm, <laughs> do you
0: do you you're mean? Pretty. My favorite is you're a pretty chubby girl. <laughs> <laughs> That's fun, isn't it? <laughs> Thank
1: you. Double exclamation,
0: double uh, question Thanks. mark. As well. I always like qualifiers, I like qualifiers.
1: Or you know, you're you're pretty good looking for a black guy. uh I don't mm. normally go for black guys. You're handsome. Hey, I've heard it all. I've heard it all. But anyway, Blake Shelton being the sexiest man alive. I think has been it's so really fascinating because while people is apolitical, I think choices like this, whenever you give someone a fluff award mm-hmm. like this, nothing but political. Because you have... Yep. I don't necessarily mean having to do with politics. I mean trying to appeal to some broad swath of the population for reasons, whatever your reasons happen to be, right? What I'm saying is that they didn't actually get a sexometer and <laughs> <laughs> measure <laughs> or anybody else. They sat around <laughs> in a room and they decided like, how many magazines can we sell if Blake Shelton's on the cover? If Christian Ronaldo's on the cover, if Idris Elba's on the cover? And those numbers are what drove their decision. Like maybe I'm too cynical, but that's what I believe. I just can't believe they arrived in Blake well, Shelton. Sure, obviously. Like you said, I don't think he's got anything going on other than the voice. Does he release music? I honestly don't know. I've never heard him sing. So, I mean it might
0: be tied to voice, but I I could swear the season of the voice is ending. I mean the thing that I the thing that strikes me about Blake Sheldon, now listen, Blake Sheldon is as innocuous as it gets. But doesn't it feel like his time is past? I mean, you could find another innocuous, um, plaid shirted vanilla guy, right? Well, but
1: I mean here he is, he's here, so why not use him? I guess that was the <laughs> I guess that was the idea. <laughs>
0: But you know what, also, but you know what, so middle of the road and also probably potentially really recognizable just as a name and a brand that is affiliated with the voice. But I it's, I, 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 have paid attention to sort of the pushback because somebody, somebody remarked, I, I thought this person was brilliant, imagine being named people's <laughs> sexiest man alive and then having to spend the next 24 hours hearing people talk about how horrendous you look. <laughs> <laughs> and having them reject the label vociferously. Well, it, <laughs> well, That's what, what never was, happened. That's actually never happened.
1: What was revealed <laughs> is that it's not just, not only is his sexiness in question, is that he has a history of tweeting some fairly racist and homophobic tweets. And
0: homophobic things, Which yeah. took
1: all of 10 seconds to be all over the internet. I mean, if it's you fine. ever watch the voice for but a second, the sort of, Back and forth that he has with Maroon Five guy, it's always like heteronormative stuff. We call. I mean, it Adam is that
0: he is that. It's super locker
1: room talk or whatever the hell Kelly Conway would say.
0: Like, like it's, <laughs> it doesn't make me feel comfortable when I hear
1: it. Like I feel no. like this is the butt of their jokes. If you've ever seen The Voice and seen their whole interaction, you know what I'm talking about. This tweets about just the terrible things that he said, and then his apology slash non apology was that. You know, I like to be funny and sometimes my humor doesn't land and my humor can be a bit immature, said the 40-year-old country singer. Oh. <laughs> he can be a bit immature at age 40. So, I mean, which to me just sounds mean... like general white man mediocrity. I mean, didn't Trump say the same thing? That Didn't Trump's wife defend we'll him being, saying he was immature on that bus? A, a, a man of 65 years old. He was immature. Listen,
0: we all know, we all know that every there there are only a few people who are allowed to be grown men. Uh, but I, you know, I think at the end of the day, I, I am not so much outraged by these things. I think they're just so instructive. I think it. I think these moments are more teachable than anything else. Because you get this, and it's Blake, and you're like, okay, because Jason, the new Aquaman, was busy or
1: you know, <laughs> you know I, mean? I mean he's not sexy enough.
0: <laughs> he's not sexy enough. Sorry Blake Shelton is sexier. I mean I think you know what honest I think some of these moments are becoming so clear to us that Maybe we were subconsciously just taking these things in before, or maybe we just didn't attend to them in the right way. But when these things happen now and there's such blowback, I think what we're really seeing is this rejection of this kind of flat, unappealing, uninteresting representation of Americana and i think what we what we have uh, are people who are saying listen we want vibrancy we want color we want diversity we want the full range of what america represents and what you have these media conglomerates pushing back at is absolutely not we want homogeneity
1: mm-hmm.
0: we want full representation of the dream of this country the flatness of this country and so I say put it on the cover, and then I reject I reject it. I won't purchase it. Do you know what I mean? Like, I think we just have to just let them aggressively tell us who they think America is.
1: Well, I know that, is. That,
0: that that sounds really odd, I guess, because people I are, know, like, why protesting it. Why but I'm like, I, don't, I was just like, why am I? I'm like, I say let's have the cultural conversation and then just don't buy people. Do you know what I mean? Like That's the way to do it is take a look at it and go, mm, that's really interesting that you made that decision, people. I'm gonna keep my cash in my pocket. Thanks.
1: Well, I mean, whereas I people, before
0: I felt like people felt like they needed to just sub, sub, they needed to just like submit to it and just take it and go, okay, this is exactly what you represent. I get it.
1: People is letting people know who they want to buy mm-hmm. the magazine. they sure, like exactly. they're letting you know exactly where they come from. I had a friend once who would tell me that he thought Grace Kelly was the most beautiful woman to ever grace the face of the planet. She was very beautiful. Um, sure. His construction of that told me everything I needed to know about how he thought about other people. And I know, I know that sounds really harsh, and it sounds like I like rapidly politicized a conversation. I had an offhand comment that someone said, but it wasn't offhand. Like that's, If that's your worldview, that no one is as pretty as Grace Kelly, that kind of tells me everything that you think about like beautiful Latina women and women of color and just what is the top's. Now, I mean, if you ask me, I don't think you, we should be making statements like this. I think a variety of people are attractive. I would never sit here and be like, this is the most, the most beautiful person I've ever seen in my entire life. Like, I would need to qualify that somehow because it time. doesn't make, it doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense. Yeah. You're the most, you know, most beautiful person I've ever seen. So I, I think the hyperbole on the People Magazine cover, I object to that actually first. And then I object to Blake Shelton being celebrated in any <laughs> way, shape, <shit>, fashion. <laughs>
0: I want to know is I don't remember there ever being this much pushback.
1: I feel like it happens every year. It happens every year with Time's Person of the Year as well, isn't it?
0: No. I mean, Time's Person of the Year invites real discussions about what the impact this person has had on the culture. You know, is well, what, this about – What difference um, is that
1: conversation with what happens with here? I think it's the same sort of thing, the conversation.
0: Well, no, because it's its kind of – I mean, sexy. What is sexy? Sexy feels obj- – is. Obj- Sexy feels like something that is not objectively flat. It feels like something that is a real subjective decision. And that when you decide that Brad Pitt is sexy, you're clearly telling me a story. Or when you decide Blake Sheldon, you're telling me a story. Well, we've had conversations about people's person of the year. There's often um there's often some larger discussion about are we talking about cultural impact? Are we talking about people who just have brought a lot of eyes to a magazine? That just feels like there's more weight to that question than Sexiest. Sexy is really about beauty and it's really about um it's really about a cultural marker of beauty. In a a, a very real and specific way. And I think, I think it's, I think it's just the nature of the cultural moment that we're living in, where we're really confronting all of these elements that reveal the sort of supremacist culture that we culture that we've always inhabited mm. i feel like now we're just having these conversations people are now raising this question you you mentioned you know someone will say well you know the greatest living author is so and so and it'll be some old white guy and people are like really and you know that, that's a real pushback moment now there's no such thing in some ways as a canon and so it's almost like we've always had a kind of beauty canon in which grace kelly and certain obvious people have lived in that mm-hmm. canon and now we're just saying no we refuse to buy into those canons we refuse to buy into the very idea that there's there's only just one type of beauty i, I feel like all of this is really extra i don't know is that is it am i not taking it seriously enough
1: are you not taking people's sexiest it? man alive seriously enough is that your question <laughs> to me right now
0: well, i, mean, how, how I, seriously I take mean people magazine's I sexiest mean- man alive How seriously should we, though? How seriously should we take it? I mean, obviously people think we should take it seriously enough that there's been a lot of pushback on it.
1: You you take it as seriously as any other headline that blurts, Taylor Swift, America's best friend. Like, all these media constructions, you know, like we were talking about Get Out, it's all a business. It's all strategy, you know? And that strategy reveals a lot. And I think you have to take it as seriously as serious as you take any message that the culture gives us about what's good, smart, valuable, worthwhile, all of those things. And it tends to be uh, white people whiten out doing white stuff.
0: And straight white males uh, mm-hmm, as well. And there it
1: is. So, and so like, should you be taking it seriously? No, no, you shouldn't be taking it seriously because it's not actually different from anything else that gets turned out on the cover of, every magazine, like we can target people magazine because they, they place a target on themselves by using the hyperbole, but like any mm-hmm. magazine, like you tell me, you look at the cover of any magazine and tell me what's not being advertised to you right there. And I know people were quick to be like, well, I saw Halle Berry in the cover of a magazine. Uh, yeah, you did. And you saw Viola Davis and you saw, but you know, the 11 covers before that weren't them. If, if every other, every third, even every fifth or sixth, then I could be like, okay, yeah, there's a diversity element. But when it's one out of 12 or one out of 17 or whatever, when it takes how many years for a black woman to get on the cover of Vogue, don't come to me with, oh, well, you know, we threw you some scraps. Why aren't you excited about that? Well, I mean, the world that I live in is not all white people all the time. And yes, I live in the New York bubble.
0: uh, (laughs) But I think millions of
1: Americans actually live the way that I live. And yeah, millions of Americans don't. But I don't know why we're always catering to them.
0: So. Well, I just, you know, I think, I mean, I mean, I think they really screwed up. Because honestly, I just think Blake Sheldon is not of the moment. There's also that element about it, too. That is, feels really be... antithetical to what it even represents. Because I remember Sexiest Man is a PR marketing ploy meant to capture a person who is having a cultural moment so in a weird way part of what I think is is happening as well is the rejection of the signifier he's not a signifier of a cultural moment or maybe he's a whisper of a wish but he's not even a signifier of who is a contemporary white person that people find compelling (laughs) that's what's so strange to me even do you know what I mean? Do
1: you think Clay Shelton is listening to this right now? (laughs)
0: I mean, I mean i don't know if he is but you know what you could have put why wouldn't it why wasn't it chris helmsworth
1: because it already was it's
0: coming out at it the ex- do they not repeat they I they mean, have unless it's brad pitt past. i don't think so yeah but you know what i mean it's like you put chris helmworth on it nobody would have kicked up a fuss but the part of the problem is that there's no there's no sense of contempt there's no sense that blake sheldon is even of the moment yeah. It doesn't speak to anything that's of a cultural presence Although, either. <laughs> what I was
1: going to say earlier was that it could be that this is phase one, like he's about to release something or they're trying to put him into a movie or a TV show. Although the scrutiny that he's gotten from this and the tweets and the, the rest of the attitudes. Ugh. But who's to say? I mean, that kind of thing used to ruin your career, but now you could be president of the United States of America. So. <laughs>
0: I just I think it missed the boat. I think it missed the boat in several ways. I think they missed the boat in having like cultural relevance. And -hmm. then I just think it also missed the boat by picking uh, a completely innocuous guy that has nothing of value for these eyes, but maybe for, you know, for some suburban mom who's driving her kids to school looking at it going ha 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 Blake Sheldon that's my guy I mean you know sure. and maybe that person is the person that's going to pick up people I would never pick up I would never buy people people the kind of thing you I steal from the doctor's office,
1: office. As, I haven't opened people in <laughs> years, years. Only because exactly
0: people so it's not really people. for us and
1: page now, where the people they discuss <laughs> on the cover I honestly don't know who they are like the they're like oh Cindy and Alex splitting up I'm like I don't know who those people are I don't I don't know and I, I don't care it,
0: it's actually not your act. I mean, and this is what I'm trying to reveal to you. You're not the target audience for people. Listen, so I, I get think it. That's the thing. Blake Sheldon is the target audience for People Magazine. And mm-hmm. I think what people have to realize is that that tells you a lot about who's reading People Magazine. Hell yeah. <laughs> All right,
1: honey. You need um, to transition yeah. into that bathroom. and <laughs>
0: I will. Did you hear the fuck? <laughs> I mean, I love it, but I I love these conversations that we've been having about this right now because I feel like they are they're so they're just telling us things. They're like they're like context clues. You know, you're walking you're walking through the world, and people are dropping you clues about the universe that you're living in. And now you're 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 really picking it up. you're seeing it. Maybe you're seeing we're seeing it with new eyes. Maybe it's always been there. i I, I dare say I think it's always been there, but there's like a special resonance mm. to now everything
1: <laughs> true, true, true. <laughs> So let's move on to recommendations, which is something that you've seen, heard, experienced, or read that you think other people should see from your experience or read. And I'm going to go first today because, uh, yeah, I am late to the game. This was this came out in September, but The Atlantic, so get ready, everyone. The Atlantic posted an <laughs> <a> extremely <laughs> lengthy article called How America Lost Its Mind by Kurt Anderson. I think he has a book mm. by the same title. And uh, preface, it's very long, but what it really spells out is sort of America's current flirtation – with insanity, reality and alternative facts is not actually a Trump (laughs) phenomena, but it's something that has been happening in America for at least the past 60 years. And he tracks this effect from like the sixties, like how we started with, um, uh, with hippies and drug culture and like psychology and new philosophies of like subjective realities and how, Reality for a Wall Street businessman is different from a Sherpa in Nepal, and what's real for you might be different for someone else. The rise of parapsychology, the interest in UFOs and ancient peoples um, being visited by aliens. When you read the article, you realize that, yeah, like we want to jump up and say like, oh, this whole thing with alternative facts and this assault on reason is new. It's really not. And what the author says is that it's particularly and distinctly American how we've been abandoning science and shading it for decades. Uh, So I would highly recommend reading it. There is no shame in your game. It took me like two weeks to get through it, honestly, because I read the whole thing in parts. Then I had to go back and read it again. But it's super worthwhile if you are wondering where America went to because what you're going to discover is that we've been there for a while. Um so How America Lost Its Mind, The Atlantic, we'll post it, Google it, go for it. Trisha? Well,
0: I mean I guess it's so funny. I'm curious about that piece because I mean, you'd have to have the ground for this moment, right? It would have had to take some time to build to this moment? To this moment.
1: Yeah. And that's what the article is like about. A,
0: yeah. For it to have an, an impact to the at the highest. Is that level?
1: America America was already primed to understand things like America was already primed to accept things like, I'm seeing the inauguration crowds, but someone is saying that it's more than Obama's. Let's weigh that. Like that. <laughs>
0: it, <laughs> that, that and, he's really, and he's relating it to the subjectification of knowledge.
1: Yes. Or the relativism well, that's, of it. What's one, that's one aspect of what he's talking about. It's one of the favorite, my favorite things that I've read. Probably this year, honestly. Interesting. It it puts some it puts a lot of things in context. You're like, Americans are losing their minds. It's like Americans have been losing their minds. I think now with the internet, it's become, and he talks about this, I think with the internet, it's become particularly noticeable because now ideas get to be, you know, I have a crazy idea. I put it online and instantly it has adherence
0: mm-hmm. before
1: mm-hmm. anyone can cross-check or fact-check, which then makes those things um, less attractive and less necessary if it's just about getting an idea out there
0: well for sure because now you have the democracy of ideas
1: yeah this has been uh, this is uh, what's it called memetics um, this idea uh-huh. of how information transfers has been my interest for like the ta- past two months because uh-huh. it, it, it we can talk about it as a topic another time it's really quite fascinating information is virus which is it's intriguing but what's your recommendation?
0: Well, my recommendation is a complete departure. I was on a flight and I had a 3 I had 3 hours to spare, and I was like, let me watch um let me watch some TV. Let me watch some TV. I usually read, and I turned on and I'd heard people talking about the show Riverdale. And I was like, what? I don't know anything about it. What cute white kids? I don't know. Maybe maybe that time is over for me, you know. I I was a teeny bopper fan, and I thought I'd like passed that. Um, But I turn on Riverdale, which is a a sort of modern take on the Archie comic, Uh, and I've never read the Archie comic. All I know about them is that there's somebody named Archie, there's somebody named Veronica, there's somebody named Betty, and there's somebody named Jughead. The relationships and dynamics, I have no clue about it, so I'm not attached to any of those elements. I just knew of them. So then I start watching Riverdale episode one, and believe you me, it is thoroughly... Thoroughly captivating. I immediately got off my flight and was like, How do I get my ass home so I can start watching episode five? Because it was very riveting. And I'm trying, you know, someone's like, Why does it so work? Are you you know what? It,
1: Riverdale was riveting? <laughs>
0: Exactly. I mean, it's sort of, according to their summary, it's sort of like a darker take on the Archie world and small town life and um, what things um, seem like on the surface. But one of the things I think that's really clever about the show is that they have um, cast the parents of Archie as um, these were people that we grew up liking. So Luke Perry is the parent, is Archie's oh, wow. parent, is Archie's um, dad. So it's like this weird, interesting contrast between sort of popular culture icons from our childhood being the parents of these teenage icons. Mm-hmm. So I think it works on that level as well, and I think the um, the dynamics between the ki- the, um, the the three main characters, Archie, Betty, and Veronica, are unpredictable. And I'm really believable. And I think, um, so I just, it's really fun. Really fun ride. I, I I mentioned it, I think, on my Facebook feed. And two or three people were like, hmm, let me check it out. And they have reported to me that they are addicted to it. So it is just a thoroughly addictive romp. They've had a full season. And um, I think they're about to start their second season. It's just a fun ride. And I'm my biggest problem with being abroad right now is that I can't finish season one. So... <laughs>
1: Oh, first, I highly recommend abroad. it. I That's know. I highly
0: problem. recommend it. That's my biggest my, problem right now.
1: My biggest problem with being abroad is that I cannot <laughs> Riverdale.
0: I know. Listen, there's no other reason. There's no other reason for me to be really upset about being abroad because well, right now I know that we are being savaged by gunfire every two minutes. Yeah, I'm quite ready for that. You are
1: exactly. I, um, <laughs> I'm going to yum yum real quick. Mm-hmm. I uh, I watched the first episode of Riverdale. Mm-hmm. And I guess it didn't capture me the way it captured you. God, you're I different. watched it. When did you watch it?
0: <laughs> wow. I know. Oh. I was just thinking. When did you watch, watch
1: it? it? When it came out, I watched it the first. I watched the first half of the first episode. Mm-hmm. Um. I I read Archie comics when I was young. Not that oh. I was attached to it, and I was I was interested in the transformation because I I kind of like when they make things not needlessly dark, but I like when they kind of take turns on already printed material. I enjoy that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I wanted to like it more. I, I just thought it was a little too noir noir for me. And mm. honestly, when the only black character, as far as I saw, shows up, she her first scene is her being an absolute bitch. And I was like, I can't. I don't know. Do this know?
0: No, do you know who she like, is, Is though? she going to be a
1: bitch? Because I don't want to do this. No, like, no, no. She's it.
0: actually not. Do you know who she is, though? What I thought was really fun is she's Josie.
1: We're talking about the woman who plays Josie, by the way, Josie the Pussycats in the show. Yes.
0: And so they weave Josie. Was Josie and the Pussycat always part of Archie? Yeah, that's this is something I don't universe. know. It is all Archie the same and, uh, universe.
1: Sabrina, the Teenage Witch, or all that. They're the same property. Well, you
0: know who's Josie's mom on the show? <laughs> Robin Givens. <It's> delightful. Robin <laughs> Delight- Givens.
1: What the hell is she up to? This Funny. and nothing for the past 20 years.
0: <laughs> Listen, life is hard, and let's bring it full circle. Life is hard for a person that accuses a major star of rape.
1: Full circle. Circle. And mm-hmm. with that, my dear, uh, you Thank should get you. on out of that Marriott lobby and get on <laughs> with <laughs> enjoying your vacation, see some tennis, oh, well. and uh, start my day in New York. Anyway, until next, uh, in two weeks, until then, hey ya.
0: Bye.